Hello everyone, I'm Kim and welcome to the first episode of We May Never Know, a podcast dedicated to unsolved disappearances and missing people's stories. So, as this is the first ever episode, I'm going to kick it off with an unsolved disappearance that has absolutely fascinated me since I first heard of it. This story is unbelievable. How can a teenager go missing from one of the world's most watched cities, leaving no trace, no images captured on CCTV, and a family at home with many unanswered questions? Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Andrew Gosden. Andrew Gosden was born on the 10th of July 1993. He lived in Balby, Doncaster, with his mum Glenys, dad Kevin and sister Charlotte. Andrew was an extremely bright boy. He was part of the Young, Gifted and Talented initiative. For those of you not in the UK, this was an exclusive opportunity offered only to those highly above average students at school. Only the top 5% of students were selected for it. It provides further educational opportunities for them and is super hard to get into. His teachers believed he would be likely to get a university place at Cambridge, which just shows you how much he impressed them. By all accounts, Andrew Gosden was your typical teenage boy. He was around five foot three with shoulder length brown hair and glasses. He spent most of his time reading, listening to his favourite bands, Slipknot, Funeral for a Friend and Muse. And as with most teenage boys, he spent a lot of time gaming. Andrew had friends, but his family say that he didn't hang out with them outside school. They describe him as a home bird. He stayed at home a lot and rarely went out, especially not without telling his parents where he was off to. Despite not being a hugely sociable person, Andrew was extremely close to his older sister, Charlotte. Friday the 14th of September 2007 was just another normal day in the Gosden household. At dinner time, the family called for the kids, 14-year-old Andrew and 16-year-old Charlotte, to come to the table to eat dinner. Only Charlotte emerged. Kevin and Glennis assumed that Andrew was in his room playing video games, as he usually would do this after returning from school. But when they went into his room, Andrew wasn't there. Immediately, they noticed his school blazer on the chair and his clothes in the wash, so Andrew had been to school, come home, changed and left? Well, no. Actually, Andrew never went to school that day. He'd woken up late and uh, was described as being irritable, but we all know teenagers. When are they ever not irritable? He left the house dressed in school uniform at 8.05am, but he never went to school. Instead, Andrew waited in a nearby park until everyone else left the house, and then he returned home. We know this because a neighbour's security camera managed to capture his return. When inside, Andrew changed out of his uniform and into his clothes, a slipknot t-shirt and jeans, which is what he usually wore. He picked up his wallet and handheld game console, put them into his bag and left again around 8.30am. After leaving the house, Andrew headed to the nearby train station of Doncaster. On the way, he stopped at a cash machine and withdrew £200 from his account. This is odd because he actually already had £100 in cash in his bedroom from his birthday money, but he didn't take that with him. He withdrew the money and continued to head to the station. When he got there, he buys a one-way ticket to London. The question is, why did he intentionally buy a one-way ticket? He was informed that it would only cost an extra pound for a return ticket because UK train ticket prices are mental, but he refused it. 
He boarded the train at 9.35am and arrived at King's Cross Station in London at 11.20. Andrew was spotted on the King's Cross Station CCTV at 11.25. And, believe it or not, this is the last ever confirmed sighting of Andrew Gosden. Despite arriving in one of the most surveilled cities in the world, Andrew Gosden was never picked up on camera again. There were two sightings that day by members of the public, one in Covent Garden and one in Oxford Street. These sightings have never been officially confirmed by the police, but Andrew's family do believe these to be credible. The thing is, even if they were credible sightings, that still doesn't leave us with any more than what we already know. Andrew arrived in London that day and has never been seen since. Now, that's all the facts we have in this case. Seriously, I'm not joking, that's all we have. So, let's have a look at some of the theories, both on what Andrew was planning to do that day, and what happened to him after. Before we delve, I just want to say that I will not be going into the supposed police failings in this case. There are questions about the police response, their checking of the CCTV, and whether they let the case go cold unnecessarily. I think that whilst the police could have potentially done more here, there's so many questions to ask without even beginning to touch on that. So if you want to find out more about that side of things, go and look up the case online. Andrew's father, Kevin, has made a few statements on it. Now, let's look at some theories. One popular theory is that Andrew was planning to attend a concert that day. At the time, there were a few bands that Andrew was into making appearances in London. 30 Seconds to Mars were playing a concert that evening, as were Sixth and him were doing a signing at HMV that weekend. With what we know about Andrew, that he was into his music, and whilst it isn't shown that these particular bands were of interest to him, it is plausible to assume that he was going up to London to watch one of them. I guess the question here is, wouldn't he just ask his parents? Was he that desperate to go that he knew if he asked, his parents would refuse as it's a school day? And if he was that desperate to go, would it not be a band that we know he definitely loved? I don't know. I kind of like this theory, at least to explain his reasoning for going to London in the first place. But if that was the case, then why did he not buy a return ticket? Surely, if he was just planning on going to a concert, he would still need to get home at some point. Although you could argue that he may have expected to stay in London until early the next morning, dependent on what time the concert finished. Then, a day return wouldn't have been helpful anyway. And also, would you take all your money with you if you were going to a concert? I guess so, if you didn't have tickets and were expecting to pay whatever it takes to get into it. But then, that doesn't add up really either, because he left £100 at home in his room, Surely, if you weren't sure how much money you'd need, you'd take it all. And that also links back to us not knowing if he particularly liked any of those bands enough to spend all of his money getting into them. That's the real problem with this case. There's theories, but they make no sense if you think them all the way through. Is that because nothing actually fits, or is that because 14-year-old boys are not particularly known for making fully logical decisions? Whatever the reason was for Andrew to go to London, it must have been something he really wanted to do. It's not like it's down the road, it's a long train journey, and London is bloody terrifying. 
I used to go to London regularly as a teen, going shopping with my mates in Oxford Street, oh, and Camden, of course, because what teenager within a 20-mile radius didn't go to Camden on a weekend? But it still scared the crap out of me every time. London's full of creepy people. There's no way I'd have gone up there alone at 14. It's ballsy as hell to go up there alone so young, and he must have had a plan. He had to know where he was going. Otherwise, there surely would have been more reports of him just wandering around, especially if he was lost and looking for somewhere specific. I mean, I doubt he would have asked for directions. I still hate doing that now, let alone at 14, but he surely would have been wandering around aimlessly if he didn't know exactly where he needed to go. Andrew didn't have a mobile phone either, so it's not like he was able to look up directions on that. We'll come back to Andrew not having a phone later. It's a bit of a bone of contention in this case, so stick a pin in it for now. Even if Andrew did travel to London purely to watch a concert, that doesn't explain why he never returned and why he hasn't been seen or heard from since. Andrew was 14 when he disappeared, but that was 13 years ago. He would be 27 now and still he hasn't been found. One theory about what happened to Andrew in London is a bit of an overdone conclusion if you ask me. Of course, he's missing in London, so where is he most likely to be? In the Thames, of course. I've seen speculation of so many reasons as to why he might be in the Thames. He fell in, he was put there by someone else, he jumped. But the police actually did a sonar search of the Thames during their investigation of this case. And whilst they did find a body, no shock there, because it's the Thames, it wasn't Andrew. According to Thames Leisure, get this, one body is pulled from the Thames every week. Not going to lie, living only a few miles out of London, that scares the crap out of me. But obviously, being a huge body of water, there's loads of reasons for this, like accidents, suicide and boating incidents. The thing is, because it's such a huge body of water, people immediately jump to the conclusion, just like lots of people in this case, that when someone goes missing in London, they're probably in the Thames. The truth is, though, if a body's put into water, it will eventually wash up. How many different searches of the Thames and its banks have been done for different reasons in the 13 years Andrew's been gone? Don't you think that his body would have washed up or been found by now? Surely it would. Now, of course, with most disappearance cases, we have to look at the possibility that Andrew chose to leave that day and never return. Andrew was into a TV show called The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. It's um, based on a man who faked his own death to start a new life. It's interesting to think about this as a possibility. Did Andrew genuinely just walk away from his life that day? My main issue with this is his age. Okay, so he had a couple of hundred pounds, but that's hardly enough to walk away and start a whole new life. He was 14, not 40. Surely someone would have questioned him at some point, It wasn't like he looked older than his age. In fact, he looked potentially a little bit younger than 14. Say he went to start anew somewhere, he would have needed to get a job at some point to make some money, but he wouldn't have been able to provide any ID unless he already had something made up. But we're getting into serious planning and preparation here. It's hardly plausible that a 14-year-old boy would have pulled that off. For argument's sake, though, let's say that Andrew walked out of his life that day and went elsewhere. Where would he have gone? Well, surprisingly, maybe Lincoln? 
Around the 10th anniversary of his disappearance, Andrew's parents received a tip-off. The tipster said he'd been speaking to someone online who called themselves Andy Rue. Apparently, this Andy Rue asked the tipster for help to make his rent payment in Lincoln. The tipster offered to transfer some money, but Andy Rue told him he didn't have a bank account as he had left home at 14. Interestingly enough, Andrew's dad, Kevin, found this tip to be potentially credible as he stated the family's nickname for Andrew when he was little was Rue. Unfortunately, the family tried to trace this lead through the website they'd been conversing on, but it led nowhere. Heartbreakingly, Kevin and Glennis drove around Lincoln regularly, hoping to catch a glimpse of their long-lost son. Another absolutely heartbreaking thing in this case is that Kevin and Glennis still regularly top up their son's bank account in case he ever needs it. I could have cried reading that, honestly. Now let's go back to that bone of contention I mentioned earlier, the mobile phone. It wasn't that Andrew wasn't allowed one, it was that he didn't want one. Apparently, he'd had phones before, but he lost them, so he decided he didn't need one. Some people think that Andrew didn't lose his phone at all. Rather, he was hiding the truth. This could be for one of two reasons. Was he hiding the fact that his phone had been stolen, perhaps from a school bully, whilst his parents maintained that Andrew wasn't being bullied, stating he would have told his sister if he was? That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. For the previous two weeks before his disappearance, Andrew started walking home from school rather than getting the bus. Was this a sign that there was someone on that bus that he didn't want to see? Or did Andrew hide his phone on purpose, pretending he had lost it when in fact he was using it to communicate with someone? It's hard not to draw parallels in this case with the case of Breck Bednar. Breck Bednar was a 14-year-old boy from the UK who was murdered in 2014 after meeting someone online. Breck met 18-year-old Lewis Danes through an online game. When he went to meet Danes in person for the first time, Danes brutally stabbed Breck, resulting in his death. Could there be a similarity here with Andrew's case? We know he was into gaming, and it's not a stretch to believe that he could have been speaking to someone on these games that had an ulterior motive. Some people believe that Andrew may have been communicating with someone who lured him to meet them in London, and that may be why he hid his phone, to hide these communications from his family. It's difficult to say whether Andrew met with foul play, had an accident, or just decided to up and leave his life. So what do I think happened to Andrew? Honestly, I think that Andrew unfortunately met with foul play that day in London. I just don't see how a 14-year-old boy could possibly walk away from his entire life and never be traced or found for 13 years. It doesn't seem plausible to me that he would be able to go anywhere and start afresh without anyone asking any questions. I'm inclined to believe that Andrew was in communication with somebody and that that was the reason that he went up to London that day. It feels like it fits to me. Maybe he took all the money because he wasn't sure how much a train would cost him. Maybe he took the money because he knew he'd have to pay for a train, food. Maybe he took the money because he thought, 
well, I'm going to go out for the day and have a really good time, and what else am I going to spend my money on? I think it's most logical to assume that he expected to come home. The fact that he didn't take his handheld game charger with him is probably quite a good indicator of that. I think that he wouldn't have left his family knowing how much of a home bird he was and how well he got on with his family. I genuinely don't believe that he would have left them with no answers if he had any control over the situation. As much as I'm inclined to believe that somebody planned to meet him in London, I don't know if that person planned to meet him and something went wrong, as in there was an argument, there was a fight, it got out of hand, or if that person planned to meet him with the sole intention of making sure that he never came back. But I do think that he came across somebody that day that didn't have the best intentions. It's a sad, sad story. Glennis, Kevin and Charlotte will never find peace without finding out exactly what happened to their son. And if you don't even have any CCTV images in a city like London, the chances of you ever finding any clues that help are relatively low. For them, this is an enduring nightmare with no conclusion. Because although we can speculate, there's a real possibility that we may never know the truth. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Andrew Gosden, please contact the South Yorkshire Police on 101 or Missing People on 116-000. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and tell a friend. You can find me at MayNeverKnowPod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email me at MayNeverKnowPod at Outlook.com. And as always, keep their names on your lips, their faces in your mind. And remember, we may never know the answers, but we must always ask the questions. Bye.